Well, good morning again. Welcome, welcome, welcome to you. I have a bunch of announcements for this morning and things that I'm really excited about going on around here. Um, first of all, we have a spring clean event. Who doesn't love cleaning? Yeah. Oh, I'm even hearing some men. This is really exciting. Um, so once a year, we just try to gather and look around and see how can we just sort of clean up, disinfect tables, dust the windowsills, vacuum off the chairs, all sorts of just little things that day to day and week in and week out, we don't really get to. And so we would love to be able to hang out in community and enjoy each other's company. I remember last year I got to know some new people and that was really fun for me while we were pulling weeds in the flower beds. And so I just wanna invite you to come out to that. It will be Saturday, March 26th from 10 o'clock in the morning until 2 in the afternoon, and we're going to provide a lunch for you. If you can only come for an hour, great. If you can do two hours, great. Um, but we would love for you to RSVP so we know how much food to, um, to be providing. So you can text the word SPRING to the Brookview number, or you can sign up on your online communication card at brookviewchurch.com as well. And then the following day, Sunday, March 27th, we are going to do something a little bit different. In lieu of our Sunday morning gathering, we are going to sit together around tables to connect with each other. That will be our first Sunday that we are mask-free. Of course, you can wear your mask in however that makes you comfortable. Um, we will be eating food, so... I'll leave that up to you to get creative with. Um, but I just want you to know what the environment will be. We will clear all the chairs out of here, and we're just going to be sitting around round tables together. Um, so a couple of things. Kids Church programming will be running next door. And we will also have a table for middle and high school students as well up here so they can be connected in their community as well. You do not need to RSVP to that if you're coming in person. However, if you are online and you still aren't comfortable um, coming and joining us in person and you would like a virtual Zoom experience, we would like to put something together for you. But we will need you to RSVP for that because we need to know how many are coming, make sure that we have enough online hosts and that sort of thing. So if that is you, from at home, we really do want you to be involved in the morning because there will not be a live stream going on that day. Um, and so you just need to sign up on your online communication card at brookviewchurch.com on the contact um, little, you guys know how to do that. You fill those out all the time. You're so good about it. Um, also, we are looking for people to help um, with a few different things. We're looking for a bunch of people to make a simple breakfast casserole that we will provide a recipe for, and you'll just bring it in that morning. Um, we're looking for people to bring table centerpieces, real easy. I have like a little inspo mood board um, that I'll send you, and you can kind of gather things from your home. We don't want people to go out and buy anything, but if you are at the women's if table gathering, um, you know what that kind of looked like. Um, and then we need help tearing down and cleaning up afterwards. We do not want to undo all of our spring clean in one foul swoop. So we will get the building back together. So 
Those are the announcements. Um, would love to just hear from you on your communication card in response to any of these things or other things that are going on in your life as well. We're going to make a bit of a shift, like a little bit of a, like I don't have a good segue for this, but um, as you know, the events of this week as they have unfolded, there's a lot of heaviness and brokenheartedness for what is going on in our world um, with Ukraine and Russia at war. And as I have been on social media, as I've heard from some of you, I think that there's just this underlying anxiousness that is making many of us feel maybe worried or a bit unsettled or not knowing what the future looks like. Um, and as some of you may know, Brookview has a connection to Russia and Ukraine. In 2016, Jason and I got to travel with a team of pastors from our denomination in our area to explore the missions work that's going on in Russia and Ukraine. Um, since that time in 2016, the field of Russia has shut down because of its hostility toward um, churches, and it wasn't safe to be there anymore. And so um, we, but while we were there, we spent some time seeing Alliance work that was going on in Moscow, in St. Petersburg, and then we ended the trip with a few days in Kiev, Ukraine. And it was there that we met this really tall man um, named Sergei Gutz, and we got to see his heart for God and his heart for his people in Ukraine. And um, he is just a very competent, creative, skilled, loving, compassionate leader. I mean, just such cool stuff, who really loves God, and he loves people. And um, it was just a really neat experience for us to, to see that and be kind of swept up in that. And then in 2018, Brookview sent a team to Ukraine to put on an English camp. Um, at Sergei's church called the Light of Ukraine Church. And it was a really fun week. Um, we got to love kids. We got to love their families. We got to do ministry alongside of their church leaders and enjoy like this building of new friendships. Um, and while we were there, we had the kids say in English, back to Brookview, good morning to Brookview, because we sent that in as the Sunday announcements. And so I found that file. I thought it was cute, and at the very end of it, there was a script that told them what to say, and on the bottom, I told them, don't forget to smile, but I wrote the word smile, so you're going to enjoy that. <laughs> Good morning, A little bit literal, so that's pretty cool. So obviously, um, this war feels much closer to me and I think to some of you because many of the people that I met during those two trips, I see on social media and I'm hearing their stories of them um, spending the night in bomb shelters, driving through the night to flee Kiev, their capital city in hopes of safety. Some of them are trying to send their kids and their wives to Poland. Um, the men aren't allowed to leave right now because it is a time of war. I mean, that's just heart-wrenching to me to know that, that people are experiencing that. And so, um, and for some, like the Goots family, 
they are staying. They've made this really hard decision to stay in Kiev so that they can help other people and be used and open up their church, however God might open those doors or lead them to invest in their community. And so how do we respond to this? I don't actually know, but we're going to do something. Um, and there are two things that I want to do in light of what's going on and all that we're hearing. Um, I want you to know that our denomination, which is the Christian and Missionary Alignments, Alignment? Alliance. <laughs> That's a little different idea. But um, they have a relief arm called CAMA Services, and um, they just kind of help when there's disaster and stuff going on. They just launch in, kind of like the Red Cross in action, but it is actually centered in our denomination. And they are raising funds to help partner with the Light of Ukraine Church, where we got to travel in 2018 to um, help them with food and supplies for displaced people, as well as to financially help people get to safety if that's the best thing for them. And so you got a flyer on your chair this morning. You know this, we don't talk about money around here and we're, we're really careful about that. But I know that some of you are maybe feel led to give financially to that. And so if you look on the back side of the map, um, it just has different ways that you can give um, to that, uh, to Ukraine through Brookview if you choose to do that. And what we'll do is we will forward your donations onto them every week for as long as money is coming in for that. So that will go straight to CAMA services to help in Ukraine and partner with the church there. Um, if you are watching online, you don't have that flyer, obviously, and you can just use the traditional ways that you give to Brookview and make sure that you indicate Ukraine in the memo line, and we will make sure that that gets to them. The second thing, or the last thing that I want to do, is just kind of take some time to pray together and to hold space for what is going on in our world to cry out to God on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ and strangers and um, just the suffering of our world. Um, on the other side of the giving flyer are some ways that you can pray, and we're just going to have a time of prayer and reflection. And, um, and then we've put candles up here, and I just want you to be able to do something tangible and physical and light a candle for um, whatever you are praying for this morning. And so I want to invite you to stand again and um, take whatever posture you want. But there's a really cool thing. I'm merging cultures here. When we travel to Haiti and do relief work there, in their churches, there's something really beautiful that they do. And it is just kind of an open prayer time. And I like to call it a concert of prayer, where we just all get to pray audibly for what is going on within us. And it's just a beautiful thing to hear the variants of prayers rise up to God. And so we're going to participate that in that together. If you are not comfortable praying out loud, it's OK. That's okay, just pray in your head. But for some of you, would you make this an audible crying out to God this morning? That we can trust that you're working in all things, that you have our best in mind, you have their best in mind. And God, that you are powerful and that you are present with us, God. God, would you bring light to darkness? Would you bring comfort where there is sorrow? Would you give peace where there is unrest?
God, would you step in? It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat, and we are going to have a big shift to a zippy little number. Good morning. So, uh, is that me? No, it's not me. Are we on? There we go. Okay. You guys can hear me in here anyway. It's just for the online people. So, many of you know, last weekend, um, we had, our family had a little mountain getaway. And uh, one of my online groups, I lead two online groups, and one of them sprung for us to have a stay for several days at a cabin in Clee Elam that happens to belong to Bruce and Ann Herbig. And when I, when I say cabin in Clee Elam, that's a little bit of an understatement. It is. It's beautiful. Um, and it was amazing. It is this place. It's perched high on the hill in the woods with a view of the lake and um, mountains all around. And with last weekend, with it snowing, it was just absolutely, it was like magical. So it was Jen and I and our daughter, Brooklyn, and then we took Brooke's new friend from youth group, Riley. And Riley, I told you I would give you a shout out in a sermon eventually. It's, it's this week, let's go. Uh, man, it was awesome to spend that weekend with you. I don't think I'd ever talked to you before that. So, um, but I talked to you a lot. And, um, and it was awesome getting to know you. It truly was. And you guys, it was like one of the most relaxing vacation, like little mini trips that I've ever had in my life. Um, I took some time every morning and, and um, like read scripture and soaped and all of that. And, but time with Jesus in that space, with that view and that context was just incredible. And then we did some snowshoeing and the girls did some sledding and we played games and we laughed a ton. And, and then every night... Jen made dinner because uh, over the last several years, every night, Jen makes dinner. That is not to put that on anyone. If you're feeling like dinner shame, don't. Uh, but she does that. And she, you know, I've talked about this before. She uses HelloFresh. You guys know about HelloFresh? So she, this is what we do at home. She'll order like five a week and she's prepping the whole thing. And, and, um, and so she brought these dinners for every night that we were there, which was four nights, and we had these, we had these amazing meals together on top of the whole thing. So I, I, throughout like the first couple of days, I kept talking about the HelloFresh dinners that Jen brought, and Brooke's friend Riley had never heard of that, and so she thought that, that I just continued to say that the food was HelloFresh. <laughs> and she was like, dude, you're the coolest pastor I've ever met. So I just want to say, Riley, I think you're hella fresh, girl. So 
You guys, it was, it was just, it was a great weekend. It's so relaxing, like this breathtaking landscape and uh, just, you know, with people that I love. And, um, but in kind of a, here's the thing, in kind of an unusual way, I missed church. Like I missed it. Like I really, honest, honest to God, miss being here with you guys. Now, I don't always feel that way when I'm gone. Um, but this time, it just, it really hit me. I, I missed you. I, I got up on Sunday, and I read scripture, and I soaped, and then I watched church online, and I got all, like, you will not believe this. I got emotional <laughs> as I watched church online. And I, it, I, it was just like the all-worship service, and I was like, man, I am like, I'm deeply encountering God right now. Like, this is incredible. And what I realized, in addition to that, was that with Jen and I gone, Trevor was downstairs doing the kids program, which meant that everything happening in adult church was being done by volunteers. Every single thing. Like our worship leaders, Rebecca and and Alex, volunteers. Deb, hitting the low tones on the bass and bringing the low vocals. Volunteer. Heidi, playing that heavenly violin. Are you kidding me? Volunteer. Eugene, rocking our faces off on the drums, volunteer. The person doing the slides on the screen was volunteer. The person running the sound, which I understand was Brian, volunteer. The person streaming the whole thing on YouTube, which I understand was Nathan. Let's go, volunteer. So you guys, church was just completely volunteer run. So I'm watching all of this happen in, in, this, in our space in Cleelum, and it just... It just gave me this overwhelming sense of gratitude um, because between COVID and all of the, the tensions and, and, and all of the, uh, you know, all of the stuff that's been going on, all of the different issues that have divided people and all of the isolation and all of the restrictions and all of it, all the social justice stuff and the masking and vaccinations and different things that are dividing so many people, so many things have ripped people apart, right? I mean, ripped families apart ripped groups, groups of friend, friends apart, and certainly have, have ripped churches apart. But amidst this season of just like crushing isolation and brutal division, you guys who, who range widely on a variety of issues, you have found a way to love one another through differences, right? To say, okay, you are my family and family figures it out. And what unites us is Jesus. And, and, and despite all the stuff that's going on, I refuse to forget that. And you guys have loved each other with grace and you have acted with so much maturity. So I'm sitting in a cabin in Cleelum watching church and these, just, these feelings just swept over me that I am so grateful. I'm so grateful to have this community, this family called Brookview. And it appears to me that we are on the precipice of a new season, a new reality, right? Mask mandate ends March 21st, and the world is opening up. And as it happens, I want us to spend a few weeks thinking about the power of community. So we're going to spend four weeks thinking about community, and then the fifth week, we're going to come into this room, sit around tables, have an amazing brunch, and do community. Like in lieu of a normal church service, we're just going to do, spend that time around tables together. 
Um, and we'll, we'll talk a whole lot more about what that'll look like over the next few weeks. But um, to launch into this series on community, I want to start with a statement that Jesus made in Mark 3. And it is such a simple statement, and yet it is filled with so many different ramifications. Okay, this is, here we go. Mark chapter 3, kind of kicking this whole series off, starting with verse 31. It says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside, because Jesus was in a house teaching. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Now, that was a rhetorical question, right? The answer was, your mom is Mary, and your, your brothers are James and Jude. And, and so then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and this, this would have been like his inner ring of, of disciples sitting right at his feet, which is what you would do with your rabbi. And he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So notice that for Jesus, his community of apprentices is his family. The number one image that Jesus uses for God is what? Father. And that makes his disciples or his apprentices then brothers and sisters. So this metaphor or image is used not only by Jesus, but, but by every single one of the writers in the New Testament. This is the dominant picture of the kind of community that Jesus builds. Now, there are all different kinds of community, right? Like marriage is a type of community. A, a local school is a type of community. A BFF is a type of community. PTA is a type of community, right? CrossFit is a type of community. It's also a cult. <laughs> right, Kristen? Yes. Okay, there's all different kinds of community, but for Jesus, his intention is that a church would, would function like a family. And, and there are several other metaphors in the New Testament for, for a church or a gathering of believers, like a body or an army or a bride or a flock of sheep. There are other images, but the image of family is by far the most common. Now, this idea of family, as we hear it in our cultural context, it sounds really nice and it sounds sappy and kind of G-rated and everything, but I would actually argue that this is one of the most radical things that Jesus taught. In fact, this was one of the things that contributed to his execution toward the end. But I think for us to even get our minds around that, to see why, I need to do just a little bit of background. So here's what I'm asking. Give me about 15-ish, be generous on this, ish minutes to sort of content dump on you. Okay, and then I promise that relevance is coming. We're going to talk about how you can get a date and, you know, all that. Now, we will circle back and talk about what this means for you and me and, and for how we all engage in community together. But a little background. There's two things that you kind of need to get your head around about first century Jewish culture to make sense of how radical this was. The first thing, anthropologists talk about a strong group society versus a weak group society. Okay, strong group society versus weak group. Um, in the first century world of Jesus, it was a strong group society to its core. Here is the definition of a strong group society from an anthropologist, cultural anthropologist named Bruce Molina. He says, in a strong group society, 
The person perceives himself or herself to be a member of a group and responsible to the group for his or her actions, destiny, career development, and life in general. The individual person is embedded in the group and is free to do what he or she feels is right and necessary only if in accord with group norms and only if the action is in the group's best interest. The group has priority over the individual member. Strong group society. Now, this is very different from how most of us were raised and conditioned and taught by our culture to think, yes? And that's because in America today, we are not a strong group society. We are a weak group society or an individualist society. So you might wonder like, well, what are some examples of, of like strong group societies? Well, almost every single society down throughout, through human history has been with the exception of late modern Western society. So Europe and the United States and Canada. And a lot of cultures today continue to be strong group societies, like most Asian cultures, strong group societies, most Arabic cultures, most African cultures. Even today, most cultures in the world are still strong group societies. Okay, in Spanish, there's a saying, let's see how many of you are current with your Spanish sayings. There's a saying that goes, mi casa es, oh yeah, that sounded like a choir of voices. Mi casa es su casa, right? My home is your home. Well, that's what you say in Spanish. Here's what you say in American English. A man's home is his castle. <laughs> right? In other words, my home is where I go to get away from you. In American culture, think about this. Think about the way we do. In American culture, mi casa is definitely not su casa. Most of us just assume that our individual desire, preference, our autonomy, or self-determination is more important than whatever group we most identify with. We just, in fact, let, let me sort of uh, nerd out on you guys. Um, think about this show, Star Trek. Do we have any Trekkies in here? Oh yeah, Brian, I knew, I knew that. I was a bit of a Trekkie. I can't keep up with the nerdiest of you guys, but I was a bit of a Trekkie. I love the original show. After that, it just kind of, I was like, eh. But, the, okay, so, um, so think about characters on the original show. Okay, Captain Kirk, Spock, Leonard, Bones, McCoy, Scotty, Sulu, right? There is one character in Star Trek that clearly was from a strong group society, and he looked like that. Now, if you're a true Trekkie, you know his mantra, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Okay, guys, have you ever thought about this? That idea for like Americans who created Star Trek is so weird that we made that character an alien. <laughs> right? I, I mean, it's literally like, you know what? That doesn't even sound like planet Earth to us. In fact, for, for many of us, it sounds not only weird, it sounds oppressive. Because strong group societies and cultures tend to have very clear roles. There's, there's gender roles, there's family roles between parents and children and different, different levels of, of the family. It's often honor and shame. And here's where it gets really challenging for some. Children of strong group immigrant families 
when they get to, you know, second generation, they find themselves in tension because they're caught in the crossfire between individualist American culture and the expectations uh, um, of the culture of the strong group society family that they come out of, right? That's just a horrendous tension. Okay, all of that to say, Jesus's world was a strong group world. And, and this is, so this is the second piece of background you need to understand. In Jesus's world, your primary loyalty would always be to your family, to your bloodline. Your primary loyalty was always to your bloodline. And so here comes Jesus's mother and brothers wanting to interrupt his teaching. And he says to his apprentices, anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This was utterly radical in Jesus' day. Jesus is equating his loyalty to his disciples with his loyalty to his mother and brothers. He is expanding the borders of family like to include anyone, like anyone, he says, who does God's will. And by anyone, he really meant anyone. But he, he, it wasn't just a, his wasn't just a strong group culture when it came to family. It was also a strong group culture when it came to ethnicity. He's saying that his family is open not only to Jewish people, but to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people as well, to anyone. In other words, his vision is a multi-ethnic family made up of Jews and Gentiles and Americans and Ukrainians and Russians and Italians, and Chinese, and Ethiopians, and on and on and on. The idea is everyone is welcome. Anyone can join the family of God. But this did not sit well with the Jewish leaders of the day. And if you follow the story of the Gospel of Mark, the event that finally brought on Jesus' execution was when he cleansed the temple. You think about Jesus goes in and he cleanses the temple and then think about what he says at the apex of that story. This is Mark eleven seventeen. 17. It says, and as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. So in frustration and anger, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah saying, you guys have lost the plot line. Like, you think this is all about being Jewish. It's not. The, the temple is supposed to be the locus point for, for all of humanity. It's supposed to be heaven and earth and God and humanity coming together in one place. It isn't just about you, but the whole world. Israel was never intended to just exist for Israel, but to be a light to the nations, to the entire world. Now, guys, you don't say that in first century Jerusalem in the temple and walk away alive. Mark tells us that the next line uh, in response, that in the next line in response, the Jewish leaders immediately begin plotting Jesus' death. Jesus was including the most unthinkable people in his new family. Like he calls you and me brothers and sisters. Now in our culture, we hear that and we think, well, that's nice. Okay, you know, that's, that's nice. That's kind of warm and fuzzy. But we have, to, we have to think about how this worked in his world. Jesus calls his community of apprentices to function like a strong group style family. 
The, the call was to a level of loyalty to him and to one another that in our culture we have no representation of. We can't even envision it. And think about what Jesus says in Luke 14, 26. And this is, this is why this, this verse is so shocking for us. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus is calling for a level of loyalty to the new family, to the spiritual family that even exceeds our loyalty to our own biological family. And I mean, for many, many people over the last 2,000 years, they've literally, like literally had to choose between Jesus and their biological family, right? It, like, it's that way even today. You think about Muslims or Jews in many parts of the world. For them, if they decide to follow Jesus, it will literally cost them their family. And, and this is why Jesus is clear about where the loyalties must lie. Now, for most of us, choosing Jesus is not going to cost us our family. Like the two are not at odds. They, maybe our family would tease us a little bit or, or lose respect for us in some way. Um, for me, this has certainly happened with, with my dad. My, my dad thought me being a Christian was bad enough. And then I told him, hey, I'm going to be a pastor and he, I mean, it was just total embarrassment to him. And his circle of friends, trying to tell his friends what his kid does for a living, just humiliating. And so I know that there are, there are family tensions for, for many of you, but for most of us, it is nothing like what a Muslim in Iran or Afghanistan might face. Or an Orthodox Jew in Israel, where if you decide to follow Jesus, your family will literally hold a funeral for you. Now, for most of us, we, we never literally choose between Jesus and our family. Even so, the call to his family is radical when we really understand it. And what I want us to notice is that Jesus does not question the strong group approach to community. He just says we must make his group our primary group. You guys, is it me? The idea of this sounds utterly ridiculous to us. Right? If you're sitting here and you're like, I'm getting uncomfortable. I get it. Like, this is wildly at odds with our Western or American value of individualism. I mean, think about the definition that I read earlier of, of what a strong group society looks like. I want to I read you that definition one more time, but I have inserted the word church swapped out for the word group. I'm going to read this. Okay, and I just want you to gauge how this makes you feel at an emotional level. Okay, in a strong church, the person perceives himself or herself to be a member of a church and responsible to the church for his or her actions, destiny, career, development, and life in general. The individual person is embedded in the church and is free to do what he or she feels is right and necessary only if it occurred in accord with church norms and only if the action is in the church's best interest. The church has the priority over the individual member. Be honest. How many of you inside are freaking out a little bit right now? Freaking out. You, you're, like, you're like, where's the door? You're, you're ready to bolt because you're like, you know what? I knew it. I, 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 have, I knew that Brookview was a cult. <laughs> I, I knew it, you know, right? And I just, I just want to tell you, like, I, I listened to this, this description and I feel the same way. I feel that it sounds crazy. 
Uh, for some of you, there's a lot of trauma associated with the word church. Or maybe for some of you, the word church is just too generic. So let me, let me put this into a different context. Let's, let's let you put it into whatever context might make sense for you. Just let me ask you to think of your most intimate community in your world, whatever that is. For some of you, it might be a, a close circle of people that you follow Jesus with, maybe your life group or your ID group or close circle of friends or whatever, but try to picture in your mind your community, whatever that may be. And let me read this one last time, um, and I'm going to insert the word community. You just think of your community, the community that makes sense for you. Okay, in a strong community, the person perceives himself or herself to be a member of a community and responsible to the community for his or her actions, destiny, career, development, and life in general. The individual person is embedded in the community and is free to do what he or she feels is right and necessary only if in accord with community norms and only if the action is in the community's best interest. The community has priority over the individual member. Maybe... Some of you feel better about that when you think of it in context of your smaller community. I bet you don't, though. It's still creepy. It, it, it doesn't even, like, okay, think about, think about your life group or think about your ID group. You, is, do you function like that? Like, you're like, yeah, heck no. Now, here's my point with all of this. This feels crazy to us. It feels crazy to us because we're from a, a weak group society. If you, if you come from, if you were born and raised within a strong group society, this does not actually sound insane to you. And yet, this is the call of Jesus to family. Now, I, I want to point something out that we, the, we all know this, but I think it's so easy to overlook when we think of the family of God. For Jesus to be a child of the Father is at the same time to be a brother or sister in the family. Like all through the New Testament, Paul's go-to metaphor for Jesus' new Jew plus Gentile family was that of adoption, being adopted into a family. See it in Galatians 4 and in Romans 8 and in Ephesians 1 and several places. So I just, I just want to pause here and ask you to think about how how adoption works. Like how does this actually work? Let's think about American families. Let's just think about how this works. Many of you know um, Emily Callan, yeah, girl, um, and her husband Amos, right? And they're beautiful kids, Kepler and Senna. Okay, is that not an amazing picture? We got that was on the Christmas card. I got that in the mail, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. We put it on the wall, and we, we had lots of your Christmas cards, right? And it was fine, but I, I was, like, dialed on that one. I was like, that is so good. Both kids uh, were adopted from Ethiopia, first Kepler and then Senna. And so what I, what I want you to do is I want you to think about the experience of Senna for a second. When the adoption was final and Senna was brought home, what, what happened is Senna became a daughter to Amos and Emily. But simultaneously, she also became a sister to Kepler. Like whether she wanted a brother or not, this was part of the deal. And, and I don't know how it works with these two siblings, but, but even if Senna had those tough sibling moments that I think are pretty common to pretty much every kid, like kids do, this momentary feeling of, you know what, right now I just want the parents, I don't want the sibling. <laughs> Family doesn't actually work that way. She can't, 
just have Emily as mom or, or Amos as dad and not have the brother. Because in a family, the two always go together. For Jesus to be a child of the father is at the same time to be a brother or sister in the family. You guys, this is how family works. The two go together. Okay. I have reached the end of the content dump. And I'm thinking that might have been a lot for some of you. So let's all just get in a Zen place and take a deep breath together. You ready? Excellent. What I want us to do is think for a second about some of the implications of this as a church. I mean, as we think about being community together, um, one very simple takeaway is that Jesus' vision for the church is that of a family. And, and we've been saying this for years around Brookview, but for Jesus, the church is not a building, right? The church is not an event on Sunday. Church is, is, is not a nonprofit that does work in our world. For Jesus, the church is family. It's a family. And that's how we are to operate in relationship with one another. You think of the, the basic practices of a normal, healthy family. A family does life together. They eat together, they stay connected, and they know what's going on with each other, and they're loving and affectionate toward each other. In a healthy family, people hold each other accountable. They're committed to helping each other flourish. Someone starts to struggle, and, and, and somebody else steps in and intervenes, and they help, and they're always looking to encourage one another, but they're also willing to challenge one another. Also, a healthy family shares responsibility. Like after dinner, we all clean up. Right at our house, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Jen pretty much does all the cooking, and so the rest of us we all clean up afterwards. Now I pretty much exclusively do the dishes because I'm I, honestly I'm anal about how the dishwasher gets loaded. <laughs> but the kids are really good about coming around me and not getting in the way of me placing stuff in the dishwasher, and they, you know, clear the table and clean it all off and all that, and they bring dishes to me. But you guys, and by the way. You guys are, you guys, as like as a church family, are so good at sharing responsibilities around here. I mean, the rule in, in churches, this is just sort of the common rule that, that how it works in most churches is, is what's called the 2080 principle. Have you guys heard of that? 2080 principle. The idea is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, right? But this has always been a family that shares responsibility, whether it's kids ministry or leading life groups or ID groups or doing building maintenance or mowing and edging the place or contributing to Vision House or Nourishing Network or leading us in worship, helping with youth. You guys, as I, and I could go on and on. As I said earlier, um, I am so, so thankful for this family. And by the way, I'm just gonna throw this out there. As Jen said, we have a, our spring clean coming. <laughs> So you're like, well, I'd like to contribute. Here you go. <laughs> do that. Uh, should be an awesome way to connect with other people and, and do some stuff together. It's going to be a great day. Again, if you can only show up for 25 minutes, come for 25 minutes. Um, you guys, Jesus' vision for church is that of a family. Families care for one another in times of need. Right? I hope so. Um, recently, many of you know Eloise Rankin you know, our, the matriarch of our church. Um, she took a fall and she broke some bones. And many of you guys have been 
so sweet and bringing meals and doing all kinds of stuff and sitting down with her just to keep her company. And I, you know, I just want to say, man, Eloise, it was so good to come over to your house and be with you and eat with you on Tuesday night. I just want to say, man, do we love you and man, do we miss seeing you around here. And I know that your immobility is just so frustrating and, and, and loss of freedom and all that. And man, I wish we could fix it. I so wish we could fix it. And I, but I want you to hear, man, we love you. We love you and you're missed here. You're a part of our family. And um, can we just say we love you to Eloise just with a yes. I hope you hear that. Guys, as a church, there is so much more to who we are than a, being a, having a building or being an event on Sunday or, or even the work that we do in the community. The vision of Jesus for us is that we would be a family. And over the last two years-ish, that has been really hard to do. But you guys have done an extraordinary job being creative and, and being flexible and figuring out ways to, to make the best of it. I mean, right even right now in this season, this year, I've, I've got 24 people I meet with in two different online life groups. I've got like two 12-person online groups. And I want to tell you something. I would much rather be in person with them. I would. But in it, you guys, even on Zoom, it's been really, really good, actually. Several of the people in those online groups are people that have come to Brookview in COVID. And I feel, they feel like family to me. Like we have gotten to know, know each other, poured our hearts out, poured into each other. It has been beautiful. And so we had to be creative. For some of you, you know, your groups that you have, they've kind of gone back and forth. You know, they're in person for a while and then something happens and Zoom and then it's back in person and then it's Zoom and uh, many of you have, have ga- engaged in church online because that's the thing that makes the most sense for you, but you've stayed connected. And in order to stay connected, it's required flexibility and creativity and just perseverance. And you guys have brought that. And so much of this whole thing has been so far from ideal. It is not the way that I would have had it be. It's not the way that you would have had it be. It's so far from ideal. But now, as we're beginning to see things open up more and more, It is essential that we do all that we can to function like family. And you guys, I have to say, I am am so pumped. Uh, I'm spitting right now even. I I cannot wait to see how, how things evolve in spring and summer and what community for us looks like. Amen? Amen. Now some of you, okay, you're not in a spot where you're ready for a church, this one or any other, to be like family for you. For you, it's, it's like, okay, it may, maybe it's like I watch the sermons online or, you know, or I come to church sometimes on Sundays and I, you know, I have a relationship with God or I, at least I'm exploring it, but that's all I want. I don't want anything more than that right now. I just want to say, if that's you, no judgment. Really, like no judgment. If that's where you are, it's where you are. And early on for me in, in my journey with Jesus and all of this, trying to figure it out, I came to Jesus as an adult. It's where I was. It's completely where I was for several years, actually. For others of you, um, it, it isn't, you know, Jesus and following Jesus isn't new for you. Like, you'd consider yourself a mature 
follower of Jesus. And yet, even so, when it comes to like church as a family, you're like, yeah, I have no interest in signing up for kind of what you've been describing. I'm, you know, I'm cool coming to church when it works for my schedule. And I have a few friends that follow Jesus, but like I meet with them on my terms. Again, like if that's you, no judgment, no judgment at all. I, I just want you to hear today that you think that way, and I think that way. I still tend to think that way because we've been socialized by a hyper-individualistic culture. And so to, to think that just doing church that way, I, I come once in a while, I have a few friends, to think that that's normal. Guys, wherever it is that we got that idea, myself included in this, wherever we got that vision, wherever we got that idea, we did not get it from Jesus. We didn't get it from the writers of the New Testament. We, we got that idea from our hyper-individualistic Western culture. Jesus' vision of church as family simply does not align well with American individualism. Okay, second implication for today is this. And this is on a lot more, a lot more of a tender note. And, and for some of you, I, I, like I hear your stories and it just it breaks my heart. Family is the place of our deepest hurt and our deepest healing. As a general rule, our highest highs and our lowest lows both come from relationships, especially relationships with our family. We are all born with a relentless longing to participate in the lives of others. Like neuroscientists tell us that from the time we are in our mother's womb, our brain is hardwired to attach to people. They call this part of the brain like the attachment system. And it's active before we even come out of the womb. Now, the language used in psychology for this is, is attachment theory. The idea is we are born with the impulse to attach to other people. Like this is a baby connecting to its mother while breastfeeding, or it's a, it's a child that is old enough to make eye contact and smile, beginning to look for people with whom to make eye contact and smile and have a relationship. And, and core to attachment theory is the idea that how we attach or do not attach in our formative years, like as infants and then toddlers, then children, gets embedded in us. And it impacts the way that we attach or do not attach to other people on into our adult relationships. So there are different kinds of scenarios that we can face as children. Some of you had parents or caregivers who were unavailable to you. They were unavailable to you at maybe a physical or at least an emotional level. And it may be that, like, for the most part, your physical needs were met, but you didn't have regular access to your caregivers, again, at a physical or emotional level. Or maybe your parents or your caregivers were just really unreliable. Like, one day, they were super loving and super pre present with you, and they were right there, and let's go get ice cream, and let's do this thing. But then the next day, they were completely unavailable to you again. It was just unreliable. Or they were just, one day, they were very loving, and then the next day, they were angry, and it was just unreliable. Others of you had caregivers that, well, not perfect because there is no such thing. 
like they were mostly available and mostly reliable, again, not perfect, but they were present in your life. They were generally emotionally available, and you knew from day to day that you were loved, and generally speaking, you felt, you felt cherished. If that was you, it's probably a lot easier for you. It's probably been a lot easier for you in your life to make relational connections. But for those of you whose formative years came without healthy attachment, where your caregivers were unavailable or unreliable, then what can happen is disorders can kind of form. For example, some people will resist deep connection with other people. And if, if things start to feel too intimate and too close, they'll just start to like disconnect and push people away. And it, it could be in a romantic relationship, it could be in a friendship, it could be in any, any kind of community. But if it starts to feel too close, they start, it's like a panic sets in and just push people away. And oftentimes it's not even like a conscious decision, right? It's just like this automatic response to what's going on. Or it can go in the opposite direction. It can manifest in like smothering people. Right? There's the fear of abandonment and the, the, the desire to be attached is so intense that these that just tend to suffocate people. And then there's all sorts of other unhealthy attachment scenarios that sort of play out. But these issues can be carried from childhood or from those formative years right on into adult relationships. And what happens is brokenness just leads to more brokenness. Now here's what's interesting about all of this. We all know people whose childhood was a mess, and yet they're like really healthy people. Like they, they were maybe abused or they were neglected or both, and yet somehow they are able to develop very healthy relationships. Not perfect relationships, but generally speaking, really healthy relationships. What does that mean? It means that a person isn't necessarily doomed if they had caregivers that were either unreliable or unavailable. Here's the key to overcoming unhealthy attachment stuff. The key is healthy relationships. The way to healing is through relationships. It's beginning to develop and cultivate consistent, available, reliable, healthy relationships. Not perfect relationships. There's no such thing. But, but healthy like, people who did not attach in a healthy way to their caregivers, the ones that have had to learn to relate in, in deep and authentic ways, the ones that have, have been able to do that, usually it's because they've had other people in their lives along the way that were not their primary caregivers, but they've had somebody else along the way, an aunt or an uncle or, or a grandpa or a teacher or a coach or a mentor or a neighbor or a group of close friends that they had for a season or a brother or sister that was reliable and was available. They were, they were healed from the broken relationship by a healthy relationship. The ability to connect and attach is all about trust. We have to learn to be able to, to trust others and to trust ourselves. And if we don't learn this as children through our caregivers, then we, we're going to have to learn it through other kinds of relationships. But, and this is a really big deal. But it can be learned. And this means that when God adopts us as his children and he becomes father, we then have like this new family with brothers 
and sisters. And that means, you guys, that there is an immense opportunity for healing. It's like God sort of built this into the, into the whole idea of us being family together. This is huge. Um, I, heard that, I heard recently, one way of thinking about our redemption and healing is this. I, I thought this was beautiful. It's that God the Father is, is reparenting us into his family. Now, we all know that the idea of God as Father is, like, not PC. Like, for, for a ton of people, there is so much baggage that comes with the idea of trying to think of God as Father because of all the stuff that's gone on, right? Jesus knew that. I mean, if anybody knew how difficult that, that image would be for certain people, it was Jesus. Jesus knew that. And yet, he chose the image anyway because he thought it was worth the risk. The, the picture is that regardless of your experience with your earthly father, or maybe it was a caregiver that was like a father figure for you, God is now your father. And he loves you. He adores you. And he's inviting you into wholeness. And he's inviting you into healing. And he's inviting you into family. And he is reparenting us in compassionate love within his family and so today i i just as as we think about this i i just want to close with with two questions and the first one is so obvious that i my guess is you probably all saw it coming and it's this how can you step toward deeper community in the family of god it doesn't mean that that you know you, you just jump in with both feet and all of a sudden every single person in this room is your new best friend. My BFF over there, my BFF over, right? How can you take a step toward deeper community in the family of God? What would be the next step for you? A simple step that is doable, that's achievable, that you could actually do. And I want to say sometimes, you guys, it's really pretty simple. Like, you know, the step is like, join a life group. And, and there's a very natural next step, and it's provided by the church, and we can tell you how on your communication card you sign up for it. And, and if that next step, for, if, like if, if you're here or you're online and that's the next step for you, great. Join a life group. Um, fill out your communication card. Let's go, right? Another natural next step provided by church, by, provided by the church, will be the community brunch, right? It's, a, it's an opportunity on March 27th to just sit down and have a meal together. It's going to be tables of seven or less, and we're just going to have guided conversations that are intended to help us, help us all get to know each other and, and be Christ-centered together. And so maybe just being at that is a natural next step for you. Awesome. Do that. But th those are examples of the church providing you a context. I just want to say you can connect with others without it being an official church ministry, right? You can meet up, you can have coffee, you can go for a walk. You know, maybe it's something you do that's like a one-time thing or maybe it's like a regular kind of ongoing rhythmic thing. But if as, as a church family, if we always have to wait for the church to make the opportunity and provide the context, we're gonna be really limited in our experience of community together. Amen? Amen. Don't wait for the church to provide your opportunity. If you're longing for community and you know what you need, go after it. 
And that leads me to a second question. Second question is this. How can you be the family of God to someone else? On occasion over the years, I have heard something like this. This is going to be shocking to you. I've heard something like this. You know, the church has really let me down. Isn't the church supposed to be a family? Well, well, people don't reach out to me very often, and, and I had a need, and, and I had a need one time, and nobody came to help me, and, and I want to grow in Christ, and, and no one is coming alongside me to mentor me, and I want to serve in ministry, and nobody has gone before me to open a door for me, and I, and I want to be known, and I want to be cherished, but no one initiates relationship with me or extends to me the hand of friendship. Now, no one at Brickview ever says those kinds of things, but I've heard of this happening in churches other churches. I, I just want to speak reality for a second. You guys, it is our job to do the best we can as a family, as a community, right? To be there for one another. That, that's always the goal. It's always the goal. But here's the thing. That is never going to happen perfectly. It just isn't. It can't. It won't. And, and so if you're somebody who has felt let down or alone at times, I, I'm pretty sure that in some regard, that's all of us, right? And if that's you, man, I am, I am truly sorry. But my question for you at the same time would be, who are you there for? Who, who are you serving? Who are you reaching out to? Who are you investing in? Because the less any of us gets fixated on, well, how is the church serving me? And who's reaching out to me? And who's investing in me? And who's mentoring me? And who's noticing when I have needs and meeting me in my place of need? And and the more instead we fix our attention on who am I? Who am I serving in the family? Who who am I reaching out to? Who am I making feel welcomed and and wanted? Who, Who am I investing in? the more our hearts are set free then to connect and experience joy and gratitude. Like you guys, this is like, this is like the amazing reversal of Jesus, right? The less I focus on my own happiness and the more I focus on serving those around me, the happier I become. It's the crazy paradox. It's the happiness paradox. And the more this church is filled with brothers and sisters who think like this, the more this will be a family where healing and life flow. And so to close, I just want to read the words of Paul from Philippians 2. Um, Paul was writing to a community of Christians that he adored. They knew how to love each other in the church in Philippi. And he was describing what makes healthy community beautiful. And and according to Paul, it kind of just looks a lot like Jesus. So what I want to do is just as the musicians come up, I want to invite you guys to close your eyes and just allow me to read the words of Paul over you. This is Philippians 2, 1 to 11, and chose to read this from the New Living Translation. Paul writes, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? 
Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 